Star Wars Action News is brought to you in part by Brian's Toys. At Brian'sToys.com, you can find Star Wars toys and collectibles from 1977 to the present. Brian's Toys has it all, from vintage toys and action figures right up to the latest releases. And when checking out, be sure to say you were referred to Brian's Toys by Star Wars Action News. So go check out the world's largest selection of Star Wars toys at Brian'sToys.com. Listening to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and updates, helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other Star Wars Action News listeners, and much more, including information on how you can be part of the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of... I'm Arnie. I'm Marjorie. Have you got your tickets to the party yet? I do. A lot of you do. Two-thirds of our tickets are sold out. Over two-thirds of our tickets sold out in the first few days. That's awesome. It's unbelievable. Tickets are selling so fast. I suggest you all get yours now before we're sold out. Just There's a link from SWActionNews.com. There's a link from YakFace.com. We've got scheduled to appear, subject to availability, but Steve Sansweet... Gus Lopez, Duncan Jenkins, come and talk with some of the great collectors. Don't, you know, harass them. Don't ask them to value stuff or ask for autographs, but come and talk to them about collecting. Tell them what you like. See what they like. Come and meet the folks behind yakface.com. Meet many of the hosts and staff of Star Wars Action News. Jerry's going to be there, who does our vintage segments. He's got one coming up later this show. Jen is going to be there, who's one of our hosts at Republic Forces Radio Network. Dan's going to be there. It's also a great place to meet other collectors. That's one big thing that a lot of people said from Celebration 4 was they had a chance to meet people and then when they were in line for things or just passing people in the hallway, they knew somebody, which is cool because I know a lot of you guys do come alone, which is okay and that's great, but sometimes it's cool to have someone to hang out with too sometimes. Yeah, somebody to sit with in panels. I mean, even you and I, sometimes we break apart and go our separate ways for different things. We actually do that quite a bit. <laughs> and so it's nice if you have somebody to hang out with and sit with and talk to in the panels. And- I know. It's yeah, a- it's a lot of fun. I made a lot of good friends that way. And that was great because me and you split up a lot of times at Celebration 4 and I always had someone to hang out with. I mean, this is specifically the reason we have this on the first night of the con is because we want to make sure everybody has a chance to meet people and make friends that they can keep for the weekend or beyond. So check out that link. Got some great prizes we're going to be giving away. Going to have music, going to have food. It's going to be a great time. At the Embassy Suites in Orlando, again, it's one of the con hotels so you can just take a bus from the con to the hotel you don't have to worry about how to get there just figure out which bus it is which we'll know at the con and we'll announce it on the show when we find out and we are looking forward to seeing you there but tickets selling fast it's gonna be a great time at c5 we're looking forward to bring you all the c5 coverage here at star wars action news whether you're going to the con or not i see people are excited we're having a recording booth set up at the c5 party where Mm -hmm. people can give their thoughts of the first day at the con and or just what your hopes are for the convention or maybe some great memories about Empire Strikes Back. And in C5 News, it's been announced that Gary Kurtz is going to be there in the autograph hall. He's the producer of Empire Strikes Back. I'm not sure if I want his autograph or not, just because I I don't go for producers. 
But you go for Stormtrooper number 68. I know. And this guy did produce Star Wars Empire. You know, here's the thing, Ernie. If you change your mind later, he'll probably be dead. And I hate <laughs> to be morbid, but these people aren't getting any younger. We're very fortunate that we got Bill Brown's autograph. I guess I'll wait and see the price. If <laughs> Are the prices up now? I know you can pre-buy tickets. Some prices have been announced. Some tickets can be pre-bought. The standard autograph is 20 but I don't know if Gary's a standard because he was just announced. So That's not a bad price. Back to $20 from like, what was it, 30 at LA? Yeah, it looks like the big names, Anthony Daniels, Carrie Fisher, and Ray Park are charging more. Ray Park kind of shocks me because we've seen him at so many cons and he'd signed everything that there was to sign at that point. But then G.I. Joe came out and he was a big draw again. And so I guess his Q number went up or something. And he's... I've seriously seen the man do conventions and charge 10 bucks. Yeah, he must be more in demand now than he was. So let's get on to the collecting aspect of the show. Store report. There's our store report. <laughs> really, it is it's dismal. Slim pickings. And I've noticed that at our Walmart, the Star Wars section has been hit by the shrink ray and has been encroached upon. I don't even know what that new toy is. It looks like they enlarged the Ben 10 section. Yeah. It, and at Target's, I'm hearing reports everywhere of figures being pulled and there are no mm -hmm. figures left on the pegs. Well, that's okay because there are only three or four there anyway. Well, three or four, yeah, different ones. There were not many left. I wonder if they're getting two packed again. They're going to get stapled together. Their theory is that maybe they're doing resets for the vintage line and that's going to be appearing soon. It's not really supposed to hit until August, maybe but you July. you know that they but... always come out ahead of time. That's the history of Hasbro's when it says, oh, August release date. We usually see it a little earlier. It trickles in. Yeah, but they normally don't do huge resets for it like that and pull the figures. It's just very interesting. We'll be keeping you apprised as this goes on. Now, if you'd like to keep up on some of this news, make sure to follow us on Twitter. We're SW Action News. We tweet quite a bit about Celebration, Toy Runs, Star Wars in general, and it's a good time. And on Facebook. Mm -hmm. We're also on Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash SW Action News. So you can follow us there. I did find one item this week. We went to Toys R Us and the rumors are true. Prices are back up to $7.50 a figure at Toys mm -hmm. R Us. Our glory days of $5 figures are over. But I guess that $7.50 price point meant somebody left a concept snowtrooper on the pegs. You were excited. You grabbed that so fast I didn't even see your hand move. I couldn't believe it. It was just sitting there alone on a peg right in front. I didn't, you know, it wasn't behind anything. It was just sitting there like Arnie by me. And I was walking to the pegs and the first thing I saw was the price sticker and I said, well, figures are up to $7.50 again. Concept snowtrooper. And it's worth it. <laughs> It's a great figure. It is a great looking figure. I've never seen one of these before in person other than I can't remember even if it was out at Toy Fair or not or at Comic-Con last year. It is a great looking figure if you're able to find it. And I had not been. It really is cool. I thought he just had one massive leg at the bottom and there's something wrong with it because I did not see that his skirt was fabric and it was kind of bent up funny in the middle at the bottom. Mm -hmm. So I had this moment of panic like, what the hell's wrong with his legs? <laughs> but it turns out it was just the skirt was laying funny in the package. But that's it. Walmart, nothing. I did find a couple of things. If you're into role play lightsabers, I hadn't seen the Mace Windu one with the gold handle out before. That one was kind of cool to see. And also in a very long line while waiting to check out at Toys R Us, I saw the Clone Wars flashlights that we'd seen at Toy Fair. They had a light side and a dark side one for about $7. You didn't buy them? I didn't. Really? Because we always need flashlights. These weren't like mag lights that you can use to find the dogs in the backyard at night. These were like little, oh. slightly bigger than what you'd put on a keychain. Okay. They were tiny for tiny hands. Kids flashlights. 
Well, the big Star Wars news this week, kind of in collecting, is the Force Unleashed 2 announcement and the trailer release. That trailer is phenomenal. The Stormtroopers, honestly, for uh, several moments, I'm looking at it like, did they get some of the 501st in there to actually film some scenes? Because I thought they were real Stormtroopers. Well, remember, game trailers always look 100 times better than the actual game. How many times did you see that game trailer last year at San Diego Comic-Con playing at the Lucasfilm booth? Yeah, that's that's the one thing is I'm like, this is such a great trailer that I'm going to be subjected to seeing again and again and again because every time I see Steve Sansweet speak, if he's at Wizard World and at Comic-Con and at Celebration, I'm going to see this trailer again. Yeah. What do you think of the story? Because it's awful convenient now that there's clones of The Apprentice. Spoiler alert for the trailer. Uh, I think that it finally explains how The Apprentice is back, which is one of the big questions on everybody's mind. I'm looking forward to seeing how the story works or if the story works. The last one, they were so big on the story, but they are making a novel of this one too, I understand. So I think that the story should be there. Now, they're also releasing a collector's edition of Of this game. I hate collector's editions of games. I used to be a huge game collector and collector's editions of games always seem like a way to just really cheat you out of some money. This is $80 at GameStop for the Xbox 360 or the PS3. And I really think given that regular PS3 and Xbox 360 games are 60. Yeah, they run 50 to 60 now. I think it might not be as bad a deal as most. 80 seems to be about the price for these collector's edition games. Every so often, I think World of Warcraft charged 100 or so. But here you get a premium collectible steel book. Yay. Exclusive in-game content. All right, you got my money now. It's probably just a skin, though, or something Yeah, like or maybe you get a special outfit or something, which... A special lightsaber now, color. didn't they burn you on that a while ago, though, with the last version, where they said it was exclusive to one, and then, like, eight months later, they released it for some other platforms? They had exclusive levels that yeah. were supposedly only on the Ultimate Sith Edition, and then you could download them. But yeah. I don't see them doing that with clothes or something like that. Like, in Star Wars Galaxies, if you bought the Collector's Edition of Galaxies, you got some item that you could use to decorate your house. It was never made available elsewhere. Well, that's good. Just saying there's a history. Three exclusive challenge mode levels. Now these I could see them making available now. Mm-hmm. Exclusive Ralph McQuarrie concept Deke Starkiller skin. In the game. So you can play wearing okay. the Deke Starkiller Okay. Look. Exclusive lightsaber crystal. So again, like I said, lightsaber color. There's some mm-hmm. of that in-game content. Exclusive Mimobot USB designer drive preloaded with bonus content. I actually, from what I understand, you actually put the Mimobot in your PS3 and it will huh. have some of that content there. That's cool. And the Starkiller 2 gigabot flash drive designed by Mimobot and a digital art book, which means you view it on your screen, which is actually better. I'm tired of these art books that come with the collector's editions that I just put on a bookshelf and never use. Mm-hmm. Although they'll probably do what the first Force Unleashed did and sell me an art book separately and I'll pay will. $30 and then see it for and you're $7. Gonna, and you're going to buy the making of and let's see, what else are you going to buy? You're going to buy the novel. Yes, yes, yes. Speaking of collector's editions and exclusives, it's also been announced Gentle Giant, the Han Solo and Carbonite maquette that we saw at Comic-Con last year is going to be an exclusive to Comic-Con this year and Celebration 5. It's only going to be a thousand pieces, 400 at Comic-Con, 300 at Celebration, 100 at AFX.com, and 200 to be determined. Okay, I was going to say that didn't add up to 1,000. <laughs> it's kind of a cute maquette because it's the Luke, we're going to have company, 
pose. But it's one of the maquettes, isn't it? Is it animated? All maquettes are animated. Yeah. Mm. At least from Gentle Giants. I can pass that one up. I don't know about you, though. Uh, We're probably going to... Can I suggest buying it at Celebration? So we drive it home instead yes. of fly it home? Probably not. No, I think I'll probably buy it at Comic-Con because Why? if I don't get one at Comic-Con, then I'll have a second All chance. Right. Other online news. Entertainment Earth has Marjorie's favorite Chewbacca slippers. You can get those right now over at Entertainment Earth. They also have Yoda, Vader slippers and Yoda slippers. I think the dogs would eat the Chewbacca slippers, to be honest. I had one pair of fuzzy slippers already since we've had these dogs. And your dog destroyed them in a matter of minutes, actually. She eviscerated the slippers. I'm afraid she would eviscerate poor little Chewbacca slippers. Your dog's evil. Over at Brian's Toys, they have the Death Trooper mini bust for only $59.99. That's less than I've seen at many other places. And you get the paperback book with it. They also have the EU wave available to order figure by figure. If you're not, as we are in the figure of one of each club, I'll be getting my figures really soon because they are expected to ship by June 16th. That's next week. Yeah, I'm very excited to finally get my hands on the Dark Trooper and Jaina and Jason Solo. None which of which we've I've never seen. even seen in the wild. No, I did find the Space Trooper, Shakti, and Kukruk, but not the others. And they still have have the vintage style Jedi Con bounty hunters. You can still pre-order them for $30 and they can barely keep those in stock. You can get it all at Brianstoys.com. And remember when checking out from Brian's Toys, please mention that you heard about them from Star Wars Action News. In slightly different news, we've done our story report and our online news. We have some television news this week. There's an awesome TV show that's going to be premiering on June 14th and it's on MTV. It's called War in the Ape. And if you don't watch it, I'm going to cry. And you don't want to be responsible for me crying, do you? This is done by Greg the Wookiee, who calls in regularly with voicemails. And it's the character, if you watched Greg the Bunny. It's a spinoff. It's kind of a spinoff. I, I love feel Warren. safe watching it, even though it's on MTV and I'm not a Twilight fan. <laughs> well, in honor of Warren the Ape. Marjorie and I went to Build-A-Bear. It's hell in there. I just want to say that. First of all, apparently they have birthday parties. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's loud. As you all know, Marjorie got me a Build-A-Bear Vader for Christmas, and I it's really Bear Vader. It. Well, I needed Greg the Jedi, and they had a bunny and a Jedi outfit. And so while I have yet to replace the eyes with the button eyes to be a little more true to the classic Greg the Bunny, I have Greg the Jedi. I really think somebody at Build-A-Bear, though, is a Greg the Bunny fan, and let me tell you why. It's got holes in the Jedi outfit for the bunny ears. But all bears have ears, and you have to put their ears through there. Yeah, but the bunny ears are the ones that come through yeah, the most and show the best. The bear ears kind of get lost in the waffles of the hood. Mm -hmm. I really, when we went to the Build-A-Bear store in New York, it was the bunny they had in the outfit. Yeah, it's very cute. But you have to watch War and the Ape. It's hilarious. He's also on Twitter. It's great. He's funny. And congrats. Congrats to Dan. Mm -hmm. Now, we mentioned last week, if you're in L.A., the Vader Project is on exhibit. Well, our own Barrent was there to take some pictures and see the helmets in person. And he scored an interview while he was there. Here's Barrent with his report from L.A. Hey, Marjorie and Arnie. It's Barrett reporting from the Vader Project here in Los Angeles. Braving the famous Southern California traffic, I arrived at 6812 Melrose Avenue promptly at noon. 
I had never been in this particular building before, but when I saw the Vader Project banner out front, I really started to get excited about what I might see inside. I was greeted by Dove Kellimer, who was one of the curators of the project, who graciously gave me unlimited access to the Vader helmets on display. Almost all of the helmets were atop square posts, painted black, with velvet, also black, kind of draped around the base. I really felt this setup in black let each helmet displayed stand out and gave a perception of the Vader helmets kind of floating around you. My first reaction at seeing the helmets was of amazement. I was able to inspect each helmet up close and I really got the chance to see all of the hard work and artistic flavor that went into creating each one of these works of art. You have Vader helmet number 40, submitted by Girls Drawing Girls, titled Carmen Mirandarth. This is a huge piece made of all kinds of fruit sticking out the top of a red Vader helmet. Number 49, submitted by Arnest Kano, depicts a Vader with sideburns, a gold chain, and a Kango logo on his forehead. There was one with the mohawk, there was a clown Vader, a rusted looking one. One was painted yellow with the Dole logo changed to Darth with the banana coming out of his grill. It's difficult to pick a favorite from all of these terrific works of art. I have a tie between number 75, submitted by Estevan Oriel, titled L.A. Darth Vader, which is made up of various scenes of life in the inner city of Los Angeles. Prostitutes, police, and pit bulls adorn this dark lord with tales of dark times in the city of angels. For me, a very powerful piece. The other is number 76, submitted by Plastic God, titled Praise the Lord. This Vader helmet has diamonds in his grills and eyes, gold plating on the face, and metal spikes coming everywhere out of his head. This helmet is expected to start out at $10,000 on auction day. But my all-time favorite is number 91, submitted by Suckadelic, titled Son of the Sons. It is my favorite because basically this helmet was made into a display and it has uh, a couple Jawas, it has Luke standing out in front, it has Boba Fett in the back with a lightsaber and a boombox, and it just basically has transformed this Vader helmet into the Lars Homestead display. And it is really cool. It was one of the one of the very few ones that was not on top of, of a black post. It kind of had its own table. It's just really great. I mean, the amount of detail that went into this. I mean, I could see myself buying this and putting it on display as is in my house. I had a great time covering this for Star Wars Action News. Sarah Jo Marks and Dove Kellimer, who, like I mentioned before, are the curators here for the Vader Project, were kind enough to give me a brief interview. I'm here with Sarah Jo Marks, uh, one of the curators here at the Vader Project. My first question is, um, how did you get involved with the project? Well, um, about 2005, we were looking for some kind of art show, something to put our company on the map. And Dove said, what about Darth Vader? And platform shows have been you know, done. And for, for listeners that, that don't know, a platform show is like any kind of art show, except instead of a canvas, it's painted on... Darth Vader or a Marilyn Crab or whatever. And we knew someone in Toy Fair 2006. We had the right meeting and uh, we ended up with Master Replicas donating 
many helmets to us to get started. So that's where the helmets come from. They're one-in-one scale Darth Vader Master Replica helmets. And uh, most of the helmets get donated, or do the artists have to buy them themselves and submit that? How, how do they go through that process? We provided the helmets to the artists. Okay, and then uh, they mail it back. And, and do you provide more than 100 helmets, or how, how do you choose the artists? Do you put out 500 helmets, and then you take the best 100? We made a master list of artists we wanted to work with, artists in the underground street, graffiti, uh, pop surrealists, new contemporary art movement, and we started talking to people, people we work with through our toy company, DKE Toys, and uh, other people we wanted to get to. We figured out how to get to them and just asked them if they wanted to participate in a Vader helmet art show. And how could they say no to Darth Vader? Almost everyone said yes. So uh, we started sending helmets out, and in late 2006, we got a few back, and we opened them up and thought, all right, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be a great art show. And our goal was to get to 100 helmets, and so uh, we just worked on the show without really a, a deadline in mind, and eventually we made it to 100. Joining us right now is Dove Kellimer, and uh, I wanted to ask you, um, how much time do you spend with these helmets, put them on display? Um, as far as in years, I mean, I guess we, <laughs> <laughs> we started in 2007. Two, 2006. 2006 was the first show, and they've... Oh, sorry, 2007 was the first show, but we've been working on the show since 2006. And uh, we've been showing them every year around the world, um, from Star Wars celebrations to uh, today. Now, these are traveling to Philadelphia, and they're going to be auctioned off. What Do the auctions go to charity? How, do they go straight to the artist? How does that work? Well, if you call supporting artist charity, then yes, <laughs> charity. <laughs> I wouldn't call it that, but some people would. I want to ask you, um, Sarah Jo, which is your favorite helmet here? You know, that's a hard question to answer, because I think every time we opened one, that was my favorite. Um, the first helmet that we got back was Dave Horvath and Sun Min Kim's All-Star No War. And so I have a particular affinity to that helmet because it was the first one we saw. And it was so exciting that day. You know, we, we left that helmet out on our kitchen counter. People came by and they freaked out. And, you know, it, it, it really, it made a difference. What about you, Ms. Kellimer? Oh, man. I, I like to tell people that they're all my children I don't think I have a favorite. I th there's so many in here that just uh, are so exceptional. It's it's hard to choose one out of 100. But not only that. I mean, as you walk around the show, you always see something new. And I've set up these helmets personally in London, Tokyo, at the Andy Warhol Museum in Pittsburgh. And every time I walk the show, I spend a lot of time there. I might be in the show for days on end. And still, when I look through the catalog, I saw something I never saw before. I agree, I agree. As I'm walking through here, you know, I want to talk about which is my favorite, and it's so hard to choose. I mean, you see one that you say, okay, the painting's good, and then you see another one where it has a lot of mixed media on it. So it's, it's, it's interesting. It's very interesting. My last question. Who shot first, Han or Greedo? Uh, Han. Han shot first. How about you, Han? Who shot first, Han or Greedo? Han. <laughs> and uh, one last question. Uh, we asked this of all, all of our guests. Um, what is your favorite Star Wars movie out there? It's got to be the holiday special. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I, think, 
<laughs> I think you're the first one to ever say that the holiday, uh, holiday special was their favorite Star Wars media out there. I can't really top that. <laughs> no. I remember the first time um, that I pulled out an old VHS tape and showed Sarah the holiday special, and it's just, it's so bad that it's good. Yeah, I mean, Well, it has B. Arthur. You can't really go wrong with B. Arthur. Can't go wrong with B. Arthur, B. Arthur. And actually... Um, Someone who has all five seasons of Golden Girls on DVD. Se- excuse me, seven seasons of Golden Girls on DVD. Yeah. Golden Girls was our, our generation's Desperate Housewives, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, I like that. Great, great, great. Thank you very, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to give us this interview. Uh, I'm sure our, pre- our listeners really appreciate this. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Brent. Thank you. Thank you, Barrett. That sounds so cool. Come to our website to see all the photos Barrett took of all these really cool helmets. Or if you're in L.A., head down to 6812 Melrose Avenue between June 12th and 20th, noon to 6 p.m., or head to thevaderproject.com. And don't forget, these are going to be auctioned off in July at Freeman's Auction House in Philadelphia. Next up this week, we have Brock with his review of the latest Fate of the Jedi novel, Allos. <laughs> This is Brock, Star Wars Action News Book Club Liaison, with a spoiler-free-as-possible review of Fate of the Jedi Allies by Christy Golden. Review copy courtesy of Delray Books. I'm going to start off by saying I enjoyed this book. I find Christy Golden's writing style easy to read, and she kept it moving and kept me interested. There's a lot going on in this book, but not so much that you can't follow the action easily. Credit goes to Ms. Golden for that. While reading this book, I was reminded that the Fate of the Jedi series seems to have given each book very little actual plot to cover, and the authors are left to fill in the rest of the 300, 400 pages with other stuff. And that's what it felt like while I was reading it. But much like Revenge of the Sith, you have to stick around to the end to get to the good stuff. What I perceive as the most interesting part of this series, the mystery of why the Jedi who spent time in the Maw are going mad, up until now that plotline has been stretched out as far as it can go without giving us real answers. The readers need answers to this mystery, and thankfully, by book's end, we finally do get us some resolution to that mystery, but not necessarily all the answers. And that being said, I am not a big fan of how this book was structured. Much like NBC's Olympic coverage earlier this year, giving us a taste of the main event early in the broadcast and then making us wait all night for the conclusion, Fate of the Jedi Allies does the same thing with the Abeloth plot here. The book starts off with the alliance between Luke and the Sith to go investigate Abeloth and the Maw. Great! That is what I want to read about! But then Luke decides he needs one of Lando's ships for extra protection, and Lando tells him it will take a week to get it ready. And you immediately realize that you have 150 pages or so of non-Abeloth-related stuff coming up, and it felt like a stall tactic. What is in between was well-written and ultimately interesting to me. We do get a strong focus again on the journalists of the Star Wars universe, including a long-overdue subplot of slavery in the galaxy far, far away. The slavery plotline was quite interesting to read, and hopefully that will come into play more as the series concludes. We have a courtroom drama as Tahiri is put on trial for Admiral Pelion's murder. The trial and the trial prep scenes were fun to read, even though they don't read much like they belong in a Star Wars book, but they actually work quite well. 
The Dala versus Jedi plot is not essential here as in the last book, though there is a major scene concerning it. And I have to say, the Jedi solution to their being trapped in the temple, I wasn't very happy with. Like the big Maw battle in Fate of the Jedi 1, perhaps this solution will have a thin connection to something that happens later in the series, but it still doesn't make it any better. On top of all that, we have Luke's tenuous alliance with the Sith and Ben crushing on the teenage Sith Vistara as we wait for Lando's ship to get ready. And you get what you expect from these scenes. Given who Ben's mom is and what we know of Star Wars, these scenes read a bit predictable, but they do play well and are needed to further the plot leading up to the climax. And as a side note, I couldn't help but think Vistara's father was reminiscent of Lucius Malfoy. What is nice about all these little plots in the middle of the book is that they mostly interconnect with each other at some level, which makes for a very nice build to the ending of the book. Golden takes what she has set up and uses it well. When we finally do get back on track and Luke and the Sith enter the Maw to go after Abeloth, the book really takes off. The end of this book had me turning pages furiously, wanting to know what happens next. And that is all you can ask for in a book, really. Most importantly, a Fate of the Jedi book finally gives us what we want. We get two surprises I will not spoil here, but I will say I am stunned and a tad frustrated how it resolves. Check out the Star Wars Action News forums where we can discuss these and other spoilers about this book at length. Fate of the Jedi Allies is not the best Star Wars book I have ever read, but it is a very strong entry in this Fate of the Jedi series. While throughout the book I correctly predicted some of the plot points, the two big surprises at the end got me, and what more can you ask for in a Star Wars book? Christy Golden rewards the reader who has been following this series since the start, and the longtime EU readers as well, providing an interesting read that this Fate of the Jedi series so desperately needs. Even with the setups they have at the end of the book for Troy Denning's forthcoming Vortex, I can truly say I don't know where they're going to go next. And that makes me one happy Star Wars reader. For Star Wars Action News and the Star Wars Action News Book Club, this is Brock. Now back to Arnie and Marjorie. Thank you, Brock. And if you want to hear more of Brock, he just discusses whatever is on his mind and his friends, Kathleen and Aaron, over at his podcast, But I Digress. You can find that online at butidigresspodcast.com. And now we have Jerry back with another vintage report, continuing his look back at the Kenner Vintage Micro Series. <laughs> everyone, I'm Jerry here to bring you my Vintage Viewpoint. This week I bring you the third and final installment to my Micro Collection Retrospective. We will be discussing the Hoth playsets, the Death Star playsets, the remaining vehicles from the line, and I'm going to reflect on how this line impacted future lines of Star Wars collectibles. It's going to be jam-packed, so let's get started. We're going to kick off the review with the Death Star... Uh, world. Yes, that's right. When two Death Star playsets are put together, they form a Death Star world. Hey, that's no world, it's a space station! Anyway, there were two Death Star playsets made for the Micro Collection. The smaller Death Star Escape and the larger Death Star Compactor. The Death Star Escape may actually remind you quite a bit of the original 3 and 3 quarter inch Kenner Death Star playset. 
It has multiple levels, an elevator to the side that takes you to each level, a thin plastic rope for Luke and Leia to swing from, and a blow-apart turbo cannon that clicks when you rotate it. It also has a small piece that can attach to the top level to recreate the small ledge Obi-Wan walks onto to access the tractor beam controls. Not that there's an Obi-Wan figure included, but the set does come with six figurines. They include the only micro-collection version of Tatooine Luke, along with a white-gowned Princess Leia, a Chewbacca, and yet another Darth Vader, along with two Stormtroopers. Nice overall set, and something you inquire today in the $40 to $50 range in good shape with a box. The set is complemented with the Trash Compactor set. This set takes the 3 and 3 quarter inch playset to the next level by separating out the Trash Compactor feature by more accurately recreating the prison level. You see a really nice rendition of the control room that has a corridor that leads to the side hatch that drops you into the garbage chute. Like the 3 and 3 quarter inch version, this set includes many foam pieces for the garbage, all orange this time, that when you push the wall in enough, it'll trigger the door to pop open and free our heroes. The foam originally came as one orange block that you had to separate. It was pre-cut, but it's difficult for me to say how many pieces there actually are, as I can tell that some of my pieces were separated in places where it wasn't meant to break. However, I would venture a guess to say that there are about 20 pieces of foam there in all. My favorite part of this set, though, was the blast door feature. This allows you to set up the Obi-Wan-Darth Vader duel from A New Hope. This is another instance where having the Falcon comes in handy. You can set Vader and Obi-Wan on one side of the blast door, and the Falcon and Luke Skywalker on the other. This blast door packs quite a punch, though, with its potent spring. That door closes in the blink of an eye. I remember as a kid, my brother once dared me and put my finger in there. Not a smart idea. Allow me to demonstrate. Here's the door closing. Now, here's the door with my finger in. Ah, man, 28 years later, you think I would have learned something. Now, overall, this set came with eight figures. Han and Luke in Stormtrooper disguise, another Princess Leia, two Stormtroopers, and dueling figures of Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi. This is the only micro-collection Obi-Wan Kenobi, by the way. Now, there's no Chewbacca with this set. You're going to have to steal him from the Death Star escape. Speaking of which, this is another time where it was really nice to have the R2 and C-3PO from the Millennium Falcon to round out all the characters from these scenes. This is said to be one of the harder sets to find. Not exactly sure why, but it would seem that eBay confirms this. I only found two to three sets on eBay, and they weren't very representative of market pricing, as neither of them were in really good condition. In general, though, I think you could find a decent complete set with a box in the $80 to $90 range. Now, of course, these two sets combined, and there are two or three different ways one could assemble the sets. The elevator shaft from the Escape Play set was detachable, and thus could be located in at least two different spots as both sets are put together. Now, there was a Death Star World bundle pack released as a separate item, and included both the compactor and escape sets and all 14 figurines. Now, I'm going to talk the other three vehicles in the line as a way to segue into the Hoth play sets. There are two vehicles that had a more general release, the X-Wing and the TIE Fighter. The X-Wing was a nicely scaled vehicle that included one die-cast figure. Not Luke necessarily, but an X-Wing pilot. Oops, sorry Arnie, I guess you're going to be getting three of these. The TIE Fighter likewise is scaled well and includes a TIE Fighter pilot die-cast figure. The ships themselves do not include any die-cast components, but both of them have a break-apart damage feature that separates various components of the ship to simulate a crash. The parts are still held together to the ship by a flexible plastic strip. Both items also include a secondary set of battle damage stickers that can be applied to the regular detail stickers of the ship. Recall for Empire Strikes Back that the 3 and 3 quarter inch scaled vehicles both feature these same type of battle damage stickers. The X-Wing has an opening canopy, wings that open in an attack formation, and the four black lasers at each wing. There is a molded R2 head that has no other function. Finally, the vehicle has posable landing gear up front. 
The TIE Fighter is blue like its 3 and 3 quarter inch counterpart, and its crash feature has the wings separate from the cockpit even though they're still attached. One of the wings actually split along the middle, which after using the crash feature a few times, leaves it very loose and difficult to remain in place. Now in addition, both vehicles had a limited special offer release that included a printed two-sided backdrop for each vehicle. The X-Wing had a Dagobah backdrop with a close-up image of Yoda trying to raise the ship on one side and a Rebel base image on the other. The TIE Fighter has an asteroid field on one side and an Imperial base on the opposite side. Now without the special offer, you can probably find a nice loose version of either ship for about $30 to $40. Boxed, you can still snag them for about $65 to $75, and even the special offer versions are very obtainable for about $150 to $175. That's not bad at all considering what other special offer vintage items go for, but we'll talk more about that in another segment down the road. The final vehicle from this line was the Snowspeeder. Like the Falcon, it saw a limited holiday 1982 release, but as a JCPenney catalog exclusive. Unlike the Falcon, however, it did not see a general release beyond the holidays and is probably the rarest production item from the entire line. Once again, this is a very nice vehicle that includes two generic Rebel pilots. The only odd thing about the ship's design is that the gunner has the lap of luxury with all the room he needs in the back. Like the X-Wing the TIE Fighter, this vehicle also has a break-apart crash feature that causes the entire front of the ship to separate. Now the plastic strips on this were not sturdy at all. I broke this vehicle as a kid by activating the feature and crashing into the ion cannon. Now I guess in retrospect it probably really wasn't a good idea to try to crash the vehicle into anything, but those plastic strips snap like a chicken wing. Now one of my favorite stories of vintage shopping involves going to a local toy hobby shop that used to be open in Cincinnati, the Earth Collectibles Toy Mall. Now they sold a lot through consignment, and one of the cases they had set up had a micro collection Snowspeeder and X-Wing for sale in loose but very mint condition. The figures were perfect, and the stickers were so neatly applied that I didn't even mind them being on, because usually I hate applied stickers on a vintage item. And I mean hate buying a vintage item with stickers applied. But these were so nicely done, and the vehicles were in such great shape, I overlooked it. But it was a fall day in 1998, and I was out with a buddy doing some toy runs, and we stopped in here, and for $20 a piece, I thought I made the deal of a lifetime. Considering I broke my Snowspeeder as a kid, this was an awesome find, and quite frankly, my X-Wing was in need of replacing too. It was actually this purchase alone that inspired me to go and rebuy all the other micro-collection items to have a display-worthy set. There usually aren't too many of these Snowspeeders on eBay at any given time, but when they pop up, you can get one with a box in the $70-$80 to $80 range. Now, of course, the Snowspeeder was a perfect complement to the Hoth playsets. There were in total four different Hoth playsets, the most of either of the three worlds that were done. The Hoth playsets included the Generator Attack, the Turret Defense, the Wampa Cave, and the large base set of the Ion Cannon. Among these sets were several features, breakaway turrets, a blow-apart shield generator, both similar to the 3 and 3 quarter inch version, except this shield generator actually resembles the one from the film. The Wampa Cave set included a, let's call it a deluxe-sized die-cast Wampa, and also a Probot that was a mix of die-cast and metal parts. It was an odd addition to include the Probot with the Wampa Cave, but it gave the smallest of all the micro-collection sets some really nice play value. The Generator Attack set includes a really cool break-apart ATST that could actually fit one figurine in the cockpit. The Ion Cannon is the largest and most impressive of all the micro-collection sets. Aside from having a softball-sized ion cannon, it has a cool set of bunker doors that allows entrance to and from the Rebel base. 
The Ion Cannon set also has two computer consoles that are frequently missing from the set when you try to buy it these days loose. Overall, there were 25 figurines among all the Haas sets, including three Luke Skywalkers, one on foot, one on Tauntaun, and one that dangles in the Wampa Cave, three Han Solos, each with blue coats by the way, two on foot, and one on Tauntaun. There is but one Princess Leia, and surprisingly, just one Darth Vader. Now aside from the Wampa and the one Chewbacca, the rest of the figurines are Imperial Snowtroopers and Rebel Troopers. The set themselves connect in all sorts of ways, as each set has the same tab and slot at the base such that they can connect in any order. Now if you're shopping today for these items, the Wampa Cave and the Generator sets are the most readily available on eBay in the $20 to $40 range. The larger Ion Can set is a bit higher at $50 to $60. As we saw with the Death Star and Bespin, there was a multi-set package made called Hothworld, which actually does not include all the Hoth playsets. For some reason, the turret defense was not included in this pack. Because of that, the turret set is a bit higher in price these days, also around about $50 to $60. I'm sure that was a price point decision to not include that set, but because of this, Hothworld is not as expensive as you'd think, being obtainable for just about $100 or so. There are even AFA-graded Hothworlds on eBay for just $300. Now, the Hoth play sets brings me to the last item in our review, the Mail-Away Build Your Army set. For two proofs of purchase from any individual set or vehicle, or one proof of purchase from either of the World playsets, you would receive six additional Hoth figurines, three Rebels and three Snowtroopers. The main reason to get this set of figurines, though, is the one Snowtrooper with the tripod cannon. That thing is practically a paperweight. Now, these aren't terribly rare. I had like four sets of them as a kid, but I got to say, it's frustrating to search for these on eBay because I guess no one really knows what to call them. Even when I search generically under just micro-collection, I don't see any auctions for these mailways. I can't imagine a set of these would cost you more than $30 or so, but good luck in finding them. If you have any hints of how to search them, or even find them, just let us know. I fortunately had kept one set unopened from my youth, but it would be good to know what the going price is and how to find a set. Now I'd like to end my segment with some brief thoughts about the legacy of the micro-collection. Obviously, the Galoob Micro Machine lines from the 90s and 2000s is the one line of Star Wars collectibles that was the most inspired by the Micro Collection. What may have helped this line work so well is the fact that they started making Star Wars Micro Machines a couple years before the 3 and 3 quarter inch line started back up in 1995. I remember in 1993 when I first read in an issue of Action Figure Digest that Micro Machines were going to start doing Star Wars toys. I was so excited. I bought them up the first moment I laid my eyes on them. Now, two of the first three sets they made really echoed back to the Micro Collection as they made a Hoth and Death Star playset along with an Endor set. Now, the figurines were smaller, they were plastic, not die-cast, and quite frankly, the sets themselves were pretty lame. It was also a bit disappointing to see that they just included the actual Micro Machine-sized vehicles with the playsets versus trying to make separate offerings more to scale, but overall, it really took me back. It was actually the very first new Star Wars toys that I ever started collecting in the 90s. Now, of course, Micro Machine did dozens of different playsets that got better and more sophisticated as time went on. And if you're a big fan of the Micro Collection vehicles, then the Micro Machine Action Fleet was made just for you. Now, these items were the closest of all to the Micro Collection in terms of size, the figurines, and just in general capturing the overall spirit of the Micro Collection. Now, they still weren't die-cast, but they made so many different movie and EU vehicles that that line is, to this day, still, in my opinion, the best Star Wars vehicle line ever made. 
Now, once again, I want to thank you for tuning in to my Vintage Viewpoint with this not-so-micro series of reviews on the Micro Collection. I've had a blast talking about what was my favorite vintage line of toys as a kid. If you'd like to share your thoughts and memories of this line or any vintage item discussed here on Star Wars Action News, send us a voicemail at 415-508-JEDI. That's 415-508-5334. Or just send us an MP3 at show at reviewstarwars.com. We would love to hear from you. I'll now return you to Arnie and Marjorie, and remember, we really do care. Thank you, Jerry. Remember, you can meet Jerry in person at the Star Wars Action News Yak Face Party. He'll be there working the room and talking to people, and he's really a fun guy. Next up, we've got Paul from Jedi Temple Archives. I don't know if you guys have been out to their website lately and seen their digested look at the Legacy Collection. They talked to a bunch of different people from fan sites to get their opinions, and they ranked the figures based on how we ranked it. So Paul did this amazingly massive project that we were involved in with him and gave him some information and he's here to talk about it and tell you all the stuff that went into it and why it's so cool and we're here with paul from jedi temple archives and paul has put together quite a detailed and really cool report called a digested look at the legacy collection hi paul hey guys how you guys doing good now what gave you the idea to do this well uh, first and foremost i'm a huge star wars fan and i've been reading the various websites for years now. So, you know, when I joined Jedi Temple Archives almost uh, two years ago now, I uh, I just thought it'd be really cool to do something collectively because we all share, you know, passion and love for Star Wars. And I just thought we need to do something where we all share that, that viewpoint and, and love of it. So it, it was actually a very surreal experience. I, I mean, I'm a fan of all these sites, but yet I'm compiling this <laughs> multi-site report and gathering everyone's opinions. So... It, it was just a really cool thing. And you got a lot of people from a lot of various sites. And, I mean, we are talking some absolute experts on it. You got Adam May from Galactic Hunter, who is a great guy. Met him several times. He's a great guy. You got Jason and Justin from Yak Face. You got Jeff from Yoda's News. You got Dan Curto from Rebel Scum. How did you choose who to include? And was there any inter-site politics about their involvement? Uh, great, great question, Arnie. Um, mo- most of the people, who, well, put it this way, I invited everybody who participated in the Hasbro Q&A that was a Star Wars-focused site only. There's a lot of sites that are part of the Q&A that, you know, they delve into different, you know, toy lines, like uh, Cool Toy Review and, and Toy Arc is another example. I just wanted to stick with the people who are dedicated to only talking about Star Wars. So uh, out of those sites, I invited everybody, and uh, I pretty much got response from everybody. And at the same time, you have to remember, I've developed pretty good relationships with what people I call my friends now over the years, just emailing them even before I was involved with Jedi Temple Archives. So I, I had this report, I, I had this developing report with everybody. So um, a lot of people, you know, I just started interacting with for the first time with this report, like Adam Lamping at Jedi News. Uh, that was the first time dealing with him. Um, I think uh, Jeff Gauss from the News. I, I'd never really talked with him before, but it was a pleasure to get to know him. Uh, so that's pretty much how it came about. 
Um, as far as the, the politics aspect, my goal for this report was to break down the four corners of everyone's site. I know that, you know, being involved online, you hear stories of someone doesn't like somebody else or just, just petty stuff. And I actually did get some correspondence from some sites that, you know, well, so-and-so participating in this. And you know, without going into too much detail, I, I said, listen, this, this is, everyone's participating. Everyone's been invited. If you have a problem with it, then I'm going to have to ask you not to participate because I just wanted it drama-free. I wanted it to be a completely fun experience, and I wanted our reading audience to see us as one cohesive whole. So I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, how long has this taken you to put together? Oh, my goodness. I started working on this about the idea started around April and I really started uh, reaching out to the various sites around beginning of May, mid-May, end of May. Uh, of course, when you're trying to get, you know, 12 different sites with 20 different people participating, it's quite a, quite a, a task trying to get everyone's responses by deadlines and, and everything. So I would say it took a good, uh, you know, 45 to 60 days to, uh, you know, compile the information. And then, uh, you know, putting it together, that was a good, you know, probably 24 hours of sitting at the computer and just making sure things flow as best as possible, proofing it 800 times. And uh, I'm still finding, like, little tiny typos here and there, so I'm fixing them as, you know, even today. So it, it's um, it, it was exhausting, but it was a labor of love. And um, I, I think uh, the results were pretty pretty good. I'm, I'm kind of happy with how it turned out. Now, everyone picked their top 10 figures from this collection. Now, how did you go about picking the top 10 you featured? What we did, um, and, and you guys are a little bit aware of this because uh, you sent me your results, but we, I asked um, each site for their absolute 10 top most favorite figures from the Legacy Collection, and I asked for like a reverse order, like a 1 through 10, and I converted those, those numbers to points. So, if Princess Leia Slay's outfit was your number one figure, uh, you know, I asked the site to give that a 10. The second most favorite figure, if it was uh, Luke, Luke Snowspear Pilot, that would get a 9. And I compiled all of those raw, um, all those individual scores to come up with a raw score, and whatever figure had the most amount of points would be ranked number one, two, so on and so forth. So it's a very true, accurate representation of how many points each figure got. Any surprises in the top 10 for you, ones you just can't believe were there and most people seem to have voted for? Um, in the top 10, I would say no. I, I think that was a pretty um, – I think the top 10 deserved the top 10 spot. Uh, if I was to be, if I was surprised, I mean, not that I think the figure doesn't deserve it, but I'm surprised that Dungeon Warrior got so high. And even Rum Flag, I mean, we're talking about a character that blows by the screen in less than five seconds or probably even two seconds. And uh, that was just a, a fan collector site favorite all around. So while, while I think that there are surprising top ten choices, they were made so well and so much detail and articulation, and uh, I, I think they, they deserve their spots. They, they worked hard to get there. What, what's, what surprised me more was the runners-up. Runners um, if you look on the report, after we do the top ten countdown, we uh, list alphabetically the next ten figures that would have placed if it were not for the ten, top ten winners. And... Uh, I think there was a lot of surprises there. Uh, Jeremiah Colton was probably the biggest surprise for me. Um, not that we don't love Jeremy Bullock and we don't love Boba Fett, but as a figure, it just was a weaker figure. It had an old 2005 body from, Revenge, from the Revenge of the Sith line and uh, you know, great head sculpt, but I, I just 
was surprised that um, you know a lot of people uh, gave it some so many high scores. But I believe it has a lot to do with you know paying homage to Jeremy Bullock, to be honest with you. And you know it's a great figure. I'm, I'm glad to have him in my collection, but. I just thought it was a little bit of a surprise choice. Have you sent this link to Hasbro yet? Uh, we have not sent it to Hasbro. Um, we're we're trying to get the best way to do it. I guess we could just send it with our next Q&A questions. But uh, we are very curious to know how um, how they feel about it and, and uh, you know, what their opinions are of it. Maybe even get their top ten, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm very surprised that they keep saying the top selling figures are the hero figures and other than, you know, Slave Leia, there's not a hero figure in here. Oh, I guess there is the X-Wing loop. Right, right. Um, but you're right, Arnie. I, I mean, here and Nick Togunner, um, the Gungan Warrior, I, I know he's an army builder. I know there's a lot of them in the movie, but Rumflag, I mean, come on. These are just, they're, they're not main, main characters or heroes, as you said. So for them to get such high scores from everybody, I think it just says a lot. And um, I, I believe that we all have voted not only in this ranking, but we voted with our dollars because none of those figures are hanging on the pegs right now. You know, I think you'll be more, more, uh, you're more likely to find Luke Snowspeeder than a Gungan warrior right now, you know? Now, I have to ask about one decision you made. Why did okay. you censor me with TNA? Is TNA really that risque? You had to say sex instead of TNA? I mean, really, I think sex is worse than TNA. No, no, oh, TNA I'm embarrassed. has a connotation. Oh, man, I'm called on the carpet for that, aren't I? Um, <laughs> I'm reading. I'm the only person bleeped in the whole bleeping thing. No, no, that's not true. Um, I, I Who was censor, it, Spice? Uh, Did you have to censor Spice? <laughs> no, Spice is great. No problems with Spice. Uh, Jeff Gauss from Yoda's News, he had a little bit of a bad word, and I, I, I clipped his, too. Um, there's nothing wrong with what you said, Arnie. Nothing at all. I just thought it, you know, I didn't want people saying, scratching their head saying TNA. Well, they you know? can Google it. They can do a Google image <laughs> search. Wait, wait, are people really scratching their head about that? Well, TNA, I meant tips and accessories. I mean, okay. she's got those points on her head and, you know. Okay, then that's my dirty mind. I'm stuck. Comes with a gun. I don't know why you put in sex. I, I was talking about she comes with a great weapon. <laughs> Uh, you're right, Arnie. My, um, I was wrong there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, thank you very much for doing this. Thanks for coming on the show. This is, I think, honestly, the coolest thing I have seen in a long time. And again, the way you kind of bridged so many of these sites and all these people, many of whom I've met in person and had drinks with. And I just find this to be a great moment in time snapshot of what overall was kind of a lackluster line. Thank you so much. It, like I said, I, it, it was such a pleasure, and um, I, I love all you guys. You know, I love Star Wars Action News, and I love hanging out with you at Toy Fair, and hopefully I'll get to see you in Florida at Celebration 5, maybe. I look forward to doing this again, and I hope that we can have you along. I'm sure you'll be more than happy to contribute. And uh, just a little plug for JTA. Make sure you read our report and make sure you check out our research toward reviews and our visual guides. And we will link to your look at the legacy collection from our homepage at SWActionNews.com. Thank you, Paul. You can see all of the comments from all of the people from all of the sites at JediTempleArchives.com. I feel honored that they thought to include us. But I do love that Paul called me the better half, clearly. Mm. Although I honestly regret that this line was so hard to find figures for and there are several I still have never seen. 
I, I wish I could go back and add this concept snow trooper to my list now because <laughs> it would be number one. For yeah. Me. It is such a cool, so cool. And that's our show for this week. Don't forget, we are reviewing the Droids cartoon series over at Republic Forces Radio Network. So head over to republicforces.com and listen as we get in trouble again. I know that theme song is catchy. It's definitely an earworm. Yes, it is. I find myself humming it now because I watch it by proxy. Really? You watch it on the droids from the Force Unleashed? Yes. And don't forget our party at Celebration 5. Don't forget that. We'll also be at San Diego Comic-Con like at- two, two weeks before that. Because, you know, I, I don't want to be at home. Why would I want to do that? Because the weekend after Celebration, we'll be at Wizard World. So who knows? We may be at Dragon Con. You know, I don't do anything little. Yeah, we're going to be at the Yard House. Speaking of not doing anything little, you'll buy your yard of beer. Yeah. It gives me a bloody nose when I try to drink it because it's so <laughs> tall. Just come to the bar at the Yard House. Check it out. We'll be wearing a Star Wars Action News shirt. So if you haven't met us before, you'll be able to find us. We'll be the ones with giant beers. I will be at least. I don't know about Arnie. He's a lightweight when it comes to that. Yard House is awesome. They have like over 60 beers. Great food. Great times. We're just going to kind of have a casual meet and greet. We're also going to kind of do this in partnership with our other podcast now playing. So you would be able to also meet Jacob and Stuart if you listen to that podcast. And over at NowPlayingPodcast.com, we just finished reviewing the Karate Kid series. You can listen to our review of that new movie. And coming out this Friday, we're reviewing Predator. That's our show for this week. We'll go ahead and see you next week. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. You can find even more Star Wars coverage at our sister podcast, Republic Forces Radio Network, where we review each episode of the Clone Wars cartoon series. You can find that show at republicforces.com. If you're into Star Wars novels, check out the Star Wars Action News book club, where we read and review all the Star Wars novels. That podcast is at swactionnews.com. We want your feedback and suggestions for Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at swactionnews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at swactionnews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can be on Star Wars Action News by calling our voicemail at 415-508-JEDI or sending an MP3 or iPhone voice memo to show at swactionnews.com. All materials submitted become the property of Star Wars Action News and are subject to use on our show. You can help support Star Wars Action News by using the affiliate links on our homepage when shopping online. We would also appreciate it if you spread the word about Star Wars Action News by posting about us on Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, or just tell a friend about the show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can also cast a vote for us each month at Podcast Alley. Links to both can be found on our homepage at SWActionNews.com. For more Star Wars collecting, please visit yakface.com, hanshideout.blogspot.com, and jedi-temple-archives.com, and we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. The Star Wars Action News team is web programmers Jason and Joe, associate produced by Brock, reporters Jerry and Steve, graphic design by Chris, and podcast enhancement by Berent. Star Wars Action News is copyright 2010, all rights reserved. 
Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. The show is created by fans showing their love of Star Wars. Star Wars and all the Star Wars universe contains is trademarked and copyright Lucasfilm Limited. All rights reserved. Until next time, may the pegs be stocked and the Force be with you. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting. Star Wars Action News is a production of Venganza Media Incorporated.